those were great thoughts that uh, we just shared with each other in those songs, especially that last one. I love that line. Uh, I want you more than gold or silver. And I don't know, if you're not very greedy, maybe that one doesn't hit, you know, because you're like, well, I didn't want gold and silver that much anyways. But, but we get the idea that this is our craving. This is our passion. This is why we do this stuff all the time. This is why every day we're seeking God in prayer. and we're, When we make our decisions about how to live life, we're reflecting on what He would want us to do in those decisions. And we read our Bibles because we're, we're craving Him. That's what this whole thing is. And uh, I just appreciate everybody sharing in that reminder because uh, we need that one big time. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, the passage that I ask you to turn to, is the beginning of this great book where the wise father, Solomon, mostly Solomon, some of them later in the Proverbs are from others, but most of them are Solomon's, uh, speaks to his kids. And he gives us the purpose for why he, uh, he wrote these Proverbs, what this was all about in this opening paragraph. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive and to the youth, knowledge and discretion. He wants to make us smart. That's what it is. He wants to make us not be so dumb anymore. But there's an interesting way that he frames that in verse 5. He says, A wise man will hear and increase in instruction. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Let's play a little game for just a second, okay? A little mental game. I'm going to say a word association, okay? So if you want to close your eyes, that might help. But uh, I'm going to say a word, and I want you to just think about what pops in your head, okay? All right. Athlete. What comes in your head? Maybe it's some Olympian. Maybe it's your favorite personal athlete. I don't know why I played this game in my head. I don't know if you can play this game with yourself, but I did it earlier when I was thinking about doing this with all of us. Derek Jeter is the one that kept coming in my head every time. I don't know why. Maybe it's because he's the first, when I was a kid, seven or eight years old, he really captivated me. I remember that first World Series that he won. Like, he just, I don't know. Okay, so done, athlete. Whoever your Derek Jeter is, you got that. All right, next one. Uh, tasty food. I hope, I hope you already ate something so that you're not just gone now. You may be gone. But anyway, what are you thinking about? And by the way, of course, that, that depends. That may be whether or not you're hungry right now. Whenever I did this last night, uh, I thought of a cheeseburger, like a really one that Emily and I had gotten. Uh, there's a place in Bed-Stuy that's amazing. It's awesome. I don't remember the name of it. i got to find it again. But Okay, so you got, you got that in your head? All right, next one. A wise person. A wise person. What do you imagine in your head? What do you picture? Some of us, I bet, it's, um, it's like a professor in a lecture hall, educating people, has all the answers. Maybe for some of us, I don't even know if these people are real, but you know, in all the depictions and the movies and the, all that sort of thing, some guy up in the mountains in Nepal sitting cross-legged in sort of a misty background outdoors just arms out like you know what i'm talking about that's a wise person someone you go to because they know all the answers they've got the answers all right now look at verse 5 of proverbs 1 again what's the picture you should have 
of a wise person. What's the definition of a wise person according to Proverbs 1 and verse 5? Is it somebody who has all the answers and is giving all the answers? Now, to be sure, a wise person will be able to give some answers. But look carefully. Is that what verse 5 teaches about the definition of a wise person? It's not, is it? Actually, the wise person that we should have in our head is the picture of somebody who's walking up to the professor after the lecture and asking a question about something they didn't quite understand. That's the wise person. The wise person is the one who's sitting at the feet of the shaman out in the mountains somewhere in Asia. That's the wise person. Well, maybe not that wise, but they're, they're seeking wisdom at least, that they know there's something beyond that they need help with. The wise person is the person who seeks wisdom. Or to maybe put it another way, seeking wisdom is wisdom. It's not having all the answers. It's not knowing all the stuff. It's chasing after knowledge, trying to figure out what you don't know yet. Look at how this theme is really pervasive. Uh, let's go to the, from the end and backwards. Go to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24. All throughout the Proverbs, there are strong exhortations that we need to seek out wisdom. That if you really want to be wise, the, the way that happens or the essence of being wise is someone who understands that you don't know everything and you need some help. Um, Proverbs 24, verse 5. A wise man is strong and a man of knowledge increases power. Well, what makes a wise man strong? What makes a man of knowledge have power? For by wise guidance you will wage war. And in abundance of counselors or advisors, there is victory. You want to be wise? You want to know some stuff? Go get some help. Go ask for counsel. Go ask for perspective. Back up a chapter to Proverbs 23 and verse 22. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she was old. Buy truth. Invest in it. And do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Go chase it down. Go look for it. Back it up to chapter 18, Proverbs 18. This one's going to sound very familiar to what we read in chapter 1 and verse 5. Proverbs 18 and verse 15. It says, The mind of the prudent, the wise person, the knowledgeable one, the mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Now what we usually think is the mouth of the wise spouts off knowledge. And again, I'm not saying that wise people shouldn't speak. That's actually part of your duty. If you have some wisdom, you should impart it to others as it's been imparted to you. But before you can ever say something wise or to even be a wise person, you have to be someone who listens. The wise person is someone, the ear of the wise seeks out knowledge. Back it up to chapter 15 and verse 31. Proverbs 15, verse 31. It says, He whose ear listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. In other words, the people who get rebuked, the people who get corrected, the people who get told how they're wrong or how they need to change or how they need to grow, those people belong with the wise. They're a part of the wise group. If you're someone who says, hey, let me get some correction. Let me get some advice. Let me get some counsel here. He who neglects discipline, verse 32, despises himself. But he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Back it up to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs 9. Just sticking together here. Proverbs 9, 
verse 7. Yeah, let's just skip down to verse 9. Well, yeah, let's do 7. Because this is going to be relevant in a second with the text we're going to look at at the beginning of the book. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. And he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, he'll hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he'll tell you, how dare you? I already know the answers. Don't you dare tell me anything. Is that what it says? Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. The difference between the wise person and the fool is the wise person listens. The wise person is seeking wisdom. The fool thinks he's already got all the wisdom he needs. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, that is wisdom, your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. In other words, it's good for you. You're doing something good for yourself. But if you scoff, you alone will bear it. This is why Solomon, whenever he reflected on his youth in Proverbs chapter 4, uh, he actually speaks about his dad, Proverbs chapter 4. This is fun because most of the Proverbs is Solomon saying, hey kids, it's your dad talking and i got some things I want to say to you. But here in Proverbs 4, he says, actually, I want to share something that your grandpa taught me. David, the man after God's own heart, the one who raised up Solomon to be wise. And we're going to see more about that in just a second. Here's what he said, Proverbs 4 beginning in verse 4. Then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. What's the commandment, Dad? What's the word that I need to hold fast to? Verse 5. Acquire wisdom or get wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, that is wisdom, and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom, the people who are really wise, are the ones who acquire wisdom. And with all your understand, all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. All right, you get it, right? All, all throughout the Proverbs, we're being shouted at, literally. I'm going to show you a text that, that brings us out in just a second. That if we want to be people who walk in God's way of wisdom, we want to be people who are righteous and kind. If we want to know how to navigate the complicated things at work or in our family relations, if we want to know how to overcome temptation, if we want to know how to handle our money or whatever it may be, we've got to be people who are wise enough to know that we don't know that much and therefore seek out more wisdom. I think this is great because one of the problems with our typical images of wisdom is that it's this thing that's really almost unattainable. And if it's not unattainable, it's very difficult to get. I mean, not many people are professors. Most of us are, not even most of us, sitting in lecture halls listening to them. Um, very few people are going to live out in the mountains and be some wise sage that knows all this kind of stuff. Not all of us are going to be able to do that. Maybe it's because we feel we have a limited capacity in our own personal intelligence, limited opportunity, other things that we've had to do. And so wisdom feels like this unattainable thing. God's wisdom is not like that. Like Jesus would say later, if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, I'll open the door. If you ask... I'll give it to you. 
The only question is, am I going to be wise enough to seek out wisdom? Am I going to be smart enough to try to get smart? Unfortunately, too many people don't. And there's a real warning about this. Besides all these positive instructions in the Proverbs of get wisdom, seek wisdom, win your wars with wisdom, there's also a warning that a lot of people don't listen to it. Go back to Proverbs 1. I'll read you a little poem here in Proverbs 1. Beginning in verse 20. Uh, so the beginning of the book of Proverbs is just sort of the, the purpose statement. I want to give wisdom. I want to help those who already have enough wisdom to seek out wisdom. I want to help those people. And then he gives a strong warning in the, the second section, in verses 8 through 19, about, hey, watch out, because there's a lot of people trying to tell you what wisdom is and what's good and what's right, and they could really mess you up. So be careful about the company you keep and the people that are, surround you. And then in verse 20, he begins talking about wisdom, and he personifies wisdom as a woman. You'll even notice some of the texts we read earlier. He speaks about her, her, talking about wisdom. And I want you to, it, however it works for you, if you want to read along, that's great. If you want to just close your eyes and imagine this scene, that might be good too, because this is very much a picturesque scene to help us appreciate the wisdom that we should be seeking, but too often too many of us don't. Listen to wisdom. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts up her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. Are you there in the location? She's not far off in the mountains somewhere. She's right there, right where everybody is, right where all the crossroads are happening, right at the gate where everybody's coming in and out. She's making herself available, shouting. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat the fruit of their ways and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But the one who listens to me will live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. This is kind of, uh, at the beginning of this, it's really encouraging. But it ends pretty, I don't know, dark, uh, harshly. The beginning was like, I'm right here. I want to help you. Like I've, I've put myself right in the middle. And you can almost imagine people just bumping by her as she screams out. Somebody knocking her over because they don't care. They're neglecting her. She says that you're not even paying attention. You're not even listening. I'm right here. I'm right here trying to help. I'm shouting out at you, but you won't even pay one bit of attention to me. 
I like, I mean, it's, I don't like it. It's actually really tragic. She says, I want to just, the wisdom I have, I just want to pour it out on top of you. All my breath, all my spirit, I want to pour it out on you just to bathe you in it, if you'll let it. Sometimes that pouring imagery is used uh, to speak of whenever people would be anointed with oil. We don't really pour stuff on each other's heads in our culture very much, but in some cultures, in some parts of the world throughout history, they would do that. And it was a way of, of really uh, kind of a luxurious experience. We might think about like lotion or something like that, where you're just feeling like this nice thing, refreshment, this oil I want to pour on top of you, but you won't receive it. You won't take it. I stretched out my hands to you. In a, Maybe you could picture it as, I'm trying to embrace you. I'm trying to bring you in, hold you close, give you what you need, but you just slap me away. All right, so this is where, uh, and actually some of that language, by the way, doesn't that sound like what God promises, particularly through his spirit? We'll talk about, I'll pour out my spirit on them. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, God would say, I stretched out my hands all day long. Paul picks up on that in the book of Romans to speak about what God has done through the gospel. I've stretched out my hands all day long. Same kind of language. Here's the turn, though. She says, okay, all right, all right. You're going to reject me? I'm going to laugh at you when you come to the end. Uh, this is where wisdom is not exactly God or God's spirit or anything like that. Because God doesn't enjoy any failure. But what Solomon is doing is he's taking wisdom and saying, if you miss out on wisdom, let's say, okay, so uh, some of us this has happened to. Someone imparted to you some financial wisdom at some point in your life. And you heard it and you're like, ah, I don't think I'm going to do that. And then you went on and you lived your life. And then at some point calamity came upon you because you were too foolish to accept that wisdom. How do you feel about it then? The person doesn't even have to say, I told you so. You may never see him again the rest of your life. But that piece of wisdom is in your head and it laughs at you. It scorns you. It mocks you. It's like, I should have listened to it, but I rejected it. That's, that's what Solomon's uh, highlighting here, personifying, is that that's what wisdom does. Wisdom is there for you. All you got to do is pick it up and acquire it, use it, listen to it. But if you reject her, then she laughs at you later. And by that time, after you've already found yourself in financial ruin, you may seek out that wisdom. It's too late, man. That wisdom applied back here, but because you rejected it and you moved through your life in, in rejection of that wisdom, you can seek it all you want. But now you may need to find new wisdom for your new situation, but that wisdom is gone. You, you can seek it all you want, but you will not find it. This is the danger for too many of us, that we think we're too cool for school about God's wisdom. We think that we know too much. We think that we're just smart enough. Wise people are those who seek out wisdom. Those who recognize they don't have it. And when wisdom is right there, arms open, shouting in the midst of the busy streets, we don't just walk on by and say, that sounds kind of weird, I don't know. Or look around and notice how few people are listening and say, oh, okay, if nobody else is listening, then I'm not going to. God's saying, no, listen to me. I'm trying to help you here. I'm trying to tell you something that you need to save you. I'm trying to, to bathe you in this beautiful stuff, but you're not going to take it. The promise, though, in, in Proverbs 2, by the way, he continues, Solomon does. And listen to what he says in Proverbs 2 in light of this. He says, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you and make your ear attentive to wisdom, kind of like he would say in chapter 4, get wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this, get it, acquire it. And in chapter 9, the wise person will hear wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, 
If you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you, and understanding will watch over you. I want you to pause for a second and think about bad stuff that's happened as a result of your actions. Sometimes bad things happen that have nothing to do with us, okay? But I want you to think about bad things that have happened in your life, maybe are happening in your life right now as a result of your actions. The way you spoke to that coworker, the way you treated or didn't treat that family member or close friend, the way you were greedy with your money or foolish with your money, that source of pleasure that you chased kind of knowing it might not work out so good, but ignoring all the warning signs and just going after it. That relationship that you were engaging in when everybody was telling you it really wasn't a good idea. Or actually, maybe everybody wasn't telling you it wasn't a good idea. Because maybe you never asked. Maybe you never sought out wisdom. You know what I'm saying, right? This is why. Because we're not seeking out God's wisdom. But Solomon says, listen, son, if you will, you're going to be good. Seek wisdom. She's like a treasure. You can find her. If you seek her as for silver, you're going to be protected. You're going to be blessed. And you're going to be transformed. I love that's one of the major emphases in the Proverbs, that wisdom is not just knowing some answers to some things like trivia or something like that. He says this is going to lead you into righteousness, justice, equity, and every good course. Do you want to be a full human being made in the image of God, living like God made you to? Do you want to do that? I know you do. If you're sitting in a place like this, if you're sitting here with a stream like this, trying to figure out some things, worshiping God, then you want to be what God wants you to be, at least on some level, even if not all the way. Seek out the wisdom of God and He'll make that happen. He'll bring it into your life. All right. What does it actually look like? Because all this stuff sounds great in little wise sayings in a book. Here's what I want to do. I want to look at a a really short story, and then I want us to bring this home with some some avenues that we can pursue to seek out wisdom. Go to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings 3. Solomon, who throughout this book is constantly telling us to seek out wisdom, is not a hypocrite. He actually shows us a model for, uh, for doing this. 1 Kings chapter 3 is just after the death of King David. David was, without a doubt, the great king. Certainly up until that point, which there weren't that many kings of Israel anyways. Uh, but even after that, every king of Israel was compared to David. He was not perfect, but he was what the people needed as they were being, uh, pursuing God. God had promised that David's kingdom would last forever. And of course, this is why much later in the prophets, they would always speak about the kingdom of God and talk about David. What would that feel like to take over for David? Have you guys had to do that before? Take over for somebody else who was really good at the thing that you were doing? Or how about this? What if you had to take over for not just somebody who was really good at the job you now have, but somebody who was your dad? Somebody who uh, you had spent a lot of your life watching 
and no doubt having at least some admiration for, seeing some of his warts and problems, but seeing a lot of the greatness too. And besides that, uh, when was the last time you had some big responsibility or some big thing in your life that you had to take care of? Maybe it was at work. Maybe it was a new relationship. Maybe it's some sort of uh, you know, fi- amount of finances that you realize, wow, this is pretty weighty. This is a big responsibility. Try being a king of a nation. And no, you didn't ask for it. You were literally born. And then God just said, you're going to be the king. And I don't know. I've never done that before. Maybe it's a great feeling. Maybe you're just excited about it. But I know with Solomon, whatever excitement he may have had, he faced a lot of apprehension too. First Kings 3, David has died and Solomon has gone up to, uh, to worship the Lord. This is after he's gotten married uh, to Pharaoh's daughter. And uh, in verse 3, beginning of 1 Kings 3, it says, Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask me what you wish me to give you. Wouldn't that be wild if God showed up? Let's say you just worshiped like crazy one day, and that's what Solomon did. A thousand animals? How long would that take to kill, cut up, and lay on an altar? A thousand animals. It's wild. So you worship like crazy one day, and then God shows up that night. And he says, hey, blank check. Ask for whatever you want. What did Solomon ask for? Then Solomon said, You have shown great faithful love to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, You have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I'm a little child. I don't know how to go out or how to come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen, a great people, who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Do you hear what Solomon asks for? Blank check. Again, God shows up to you and he says, whatever you want, you get to have it. And you're a king. Solomon doesn't ask for all the kings of the earth to just come bow down to him and give them all their wealth and riches and power. He doesn't ask for, I don't know, some beautiful romance. He doesn't ask for, I don't know, any of the stuff that a lot of us would be tempted to ask, I think, or would probably kind of want to ask. When God says, ask whatever you want. He said, give me wisdom. Solomon sought wisdom. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, I forgot about that one. Eternal life. Wouldn't that be it? God said, ask me whatever you want. Wouldn't that be the one to ask for? I'd like to never die. You haven't asked for that? 
nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. And God goes on to say, and I've given you all the stuff you didn't ask for either. I'm going to give you all that stuff too. Here's what's interesting to me. Do you notice the, the, the verb tense there? God says, I have given you this. So maybe what that means is, um, hey, Solomon, um, you've asked for this, and I've immediately granted your wish. I think there's something that's probably, that's right. But what if what God also means is, Solomon, you're asking for something. You already have it because you're asking me for it right here. Because that's wisdom after all, is seeking wisdom from me. I have given you this. And don't get me wrong. It's clear that God gave, wisdom, uh, gave Solomon an excessive amount of wisdom. You see that throughout the, most of the rest of his story. So Solomon isn't just talking the talk for us. He's walking the walk. And he shows us something really important. So this is where I want us to transition and really bring this home for us and try to apply this general concept of needing to seek wisdom. Um, Solomon demonstrates to us, I think, two necessary attitudes that are kind of two sides of the same coin if we're going to be people who seek wisdom. So two attitudes, and I'm going to tell you four avenues that we need to pursue wisdom. Two attitudes, four avenues. Here's the two attitudes. Seeking wisdom means that I eagerly and actively pursue it. Eagerly and actively pursue it. Solomon's going, he's offering a thousand animals. Whenever God... He's, just, he's chasing after God. You get the point, right? He really wants it. He says that in a lot of these Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is this, Proverbs 4, verse 6. Get wisdom. Go get it. Go chase it. Buy truth and do not sell it. We read, I think it was, that was in the Proverbs 23 text. You need to be active and eager in pursuit of God's wisdom. What this means is I can't just sit back and be like, oh, I wish I was wise. I wish somebody would give me wisdom. I wish God would give me wisdom. That's not going to work. If you just sit back and bemoan the fact that you're not wise... You're never going to get it. You've got to be actively eager in pursuit of God's wisdom. Solomon certainly was. Even his prayer here, first thing he prays for, God says, what can I do for you? Ask for anything. First thing Solomon says, give me a wise and understanding heart. But here's the other side to that coin. Not only do we need to be actively eager in pursuit of wisdom, we also need to be receptively open to wisdom. See, uh, the rest of the story of Solomon is... God giving him wisdom in these different circumstances. But you know, at some point, Solomon could have said, and actually, this is the bad thing, I hate to say it, but it's already be a downer. But actually, at some point, Solomon did stop being open to God's wisdom. Because eventually, Solomon turned his heart away from the Lord. He turned to other gods because he was married to foreign women who worshipped other gods, and they turned him to their what they worshipped. He was no longer open to God. He closed himself off. He shut his heart off to God. And so even as God was giving him wisdom, eventually he refused it. So one person, we may not be as active as we need to. I may be waiting around. I wish someone would ask me the perfect question or tell me the perfect thing without knowing what I really need. Well, that ain't going to work. i got to be actively eager to pursue wisdom. But on the other hand, some of us, we're willing to ask until you start telling me something I didn't want to hear. 
and then I'm not receptively open anymore. I'm not interested in that. I didn't want to hear that. I don't like how you responded to me, God, or brother or sister, or whatever, maybe. I'm not interested in that wisdom. I'm not openly receptive. We've got to have this attitude that Solomon has, at least at this point in his life. And i got to hope that maybe at some point at the end of his life he came back to this, realizing that this is the only way to live. To be someone who's actively eager in pursuit of wisdom and receptively open to whatever wisdom God gives us. That's the mark of truly wise people are those who seek out wisdom. Not people who think they already have all the answers, but people who ask the questions. Not people who say, no, let me tell you, but rather are willing to say, well, I don't like much what you're saying, but I'm willing to listen. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. All right, so those are the two attitudes that Solomon um, displays for us here. What are the avenues through which we can pursue wisdom? How, I mean, look, here's the deal. I don't think God's going to show up to you tonight and say, hey, great worshiping this morning. Ask me whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. If it does, then thank God when it does. But I don't think so. Uh, and here's the great thing. God's actually told us how we can seek out wisdom, the avenues we can pursue to find wisdom as she's standing there on the street corners at the entrance of the gates shouting out to us, how long will you stay simple-minded? How long will you refuse my wisdom? Right here we're saying no longer. No longer. We're coming to your open arms to listen. Here's a few ways that we can. Number one, and maybe this is the most dull one, but I'm going to say it anyways. We just read it in this story and it's repeated throughout Scripture. Prayer. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach. If you lack wisdom, ask God for it. And this is in uh, two dimensions. So let's think about our, our um, openly receptive side. I should be regularly praying for wisdom. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, the Apostle Paul, and I love this one, James, same thing. He's literally writing about wisdom from God. He's telling him how to be wise. But at the beginning of his letter in Colossians 1, and beginning in verse 9, he says, this is what I'm praying for you guys, that you would be filled with all knowledge and wisdom and spiritual insight in the things that would please him. Well, Paul, shouldn't we just read this book to get wisdom? Yeah, but I'm praying for you. You always will be praying for wisdom. We need to be praying that so we'll have hearts that are open and receptive to whatever wisdom God imparts to us, however he may do that. But also we need to be eager whenever we're facing a particular situation. You're up against something at work with your coworkers or your boss. How, God, I know you've told me this stuff about being submissive at work, but then I also don't know how to deal with my boss who's really acting in an unjust way. And it's not just affecting me, it's affecting others. How do I navigate this whole thing? You need to talk to God about it. Don't just complain to your coworkers, and don't just go to your Christian friends. Go pray to God about that thing that you're struggling with. Oh, like um, I've got these problems in my marriage, and I wish they weren't this way, and I don't really know what to do. Well, have you prayed about it? And if the answer is no, well, then no wonder you don't have much wisdom in knowing how to deal with it, because you're not going to God seeking that wisdom. We need to be people of prayer. And I just got to tell you, I don't think yeah, that means you're going to have a lightning bolt one day. And you're like, aha, I now have a six-step plan to deal with my marriage problems. I don't think that's how it works. And I wish I knew how it worked. I wish I could tell you exactly how it works. I think that's why James says that we must ask in faith without any doubting. And that's super hard. It is super hard. Everything about faith is kind of hard, honestly. Except the more you do it, the less hard it is. Because the faith becomes sight as God gives you wisdom. 
when you're wise enough to seek it out. All right, so first avenue, prayer. Second avenue is Torah. And I'm using that word Torah on purpose here. Uh, the word Torah is often ascribed to the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And uh, sometimes it's translated as law, and that's a fair translation. But the word is a little bit broader than that in that it can also, it is also translated at times, and in the Proverbs in particular, it's used several times to talk about instruction. Instruction. And actually that makes sense, because think about the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. How much of it is actually law in terms of rules? Have you ever thought about that? So the story of Jacob wrestling the angel. Is that Torah? Yeah, it is. It's in the Torah. Is it a law? I don't think so. It's just a story. But that story carries with it instruction. It teaches us something about God and about faith and about how to relate to God. We need Torah. We need instruction. Uh, Paul would say it this way. You know, we're reading 1 Corinthians right now as a congregation in our at-home reading. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul tells all these, he's talking to the Corinthians about avoiding idolatry. Don't we need that lesson? The idolatry of success, the idolatry of social acceptance, the idolatry of greed, the idolatry of whatever. He says, you've got to get away from that idolatry. How are we going to do that, Paul? Well, then he just starts telling them stories. He starts telling about how Moses led the people out of Israel and how God baptized them through Moses and through the sea and in the cloud. And then he talks about the people who, who were killed at Mount Sinai because they worshipped the idol there. And then he talks about the people who grumbled in the wilderness and how they were cut down. Why are you telling us all this stuff, Paul? Why are you telling us stories? We just want you to give us some Torah, give us some instruction, give me some wisdom about how to overcome this problem. Then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 11, these things were written for our Torah. Examples for us, for our instruction. That's what they were. All right, so what this means is uh, you gotta stay open to the Word of God. I mean, always, just drinking it in, thinking about it, and being willing to be challenged by it, and being reshaped by it, and sometimes not really knowing, hey, I'm reading 1 Corinthians this week, I don't know if 1 Corinthians has anything to do with my life. And honestly, I read that part in chapter three about the temple of God and Paul being a master builder. I don't know what that has to do with my life. Okay, stay openly receptive to the wisdom of God because you may not feel like it's particularly relevant right then, but wise people seek wisdom. And if God's Torah, God's instruction, God's word is where we're gonna find wisdom, then stay openly receptive, even to parts that don't seem particularly relevant to you right here and right now. But then of course, there's that other side, being actively eager in pursuit of wisdom. You're trying to figure out how to handle some money. Well, you know where you should be going for that? Not fill-in-the-blank financial advisor that's on TV or has a podcast. That's fine. That's not all bad. But really, the main place you need to go is go to the Word of God and just find scriptures about money and say, okay, how, do, how does God say I need to do my money? And then after that, you can go ask some friends and go listen to a podcast, whatever. But be actively eager in pursuit of God's wisdom by reading his instruction, the Torah, in his word, right? Okay, so uh, prayer and Torah or instruction, those are two avenues where we, uh, where we seek and find God's wisdom. A third one that actually is related to a lot of the scriptures we read earlier on, uh, godly mentors, godly mentors. Maybe a way to say it is godly influences. Maybe we think of the word mentor as someone who's much older, they've been through the same experiences. I don't mean that. Because frankly, those who are my peers or younger than me can give me godly counsel. Here's the definition of a wise person in the Proverbs. 
somebody who lives a godly life. Uh, maybe I should say a, a wise counselor. Right? The wise person is the one who seeks out wisdom. But those who I should seek advice from are those who are righteous, those who are godly, those who know the Lord, those who are going to Him in prayer, those who are listening to His instruction. All right, so what this means is, is when I'm struggling with something, I'm going through some temptation. And frankly, I'm mostly going through sin right now. I'm just giving in. I'm just giving in. I'm doing the bad thing that I shouldn't be doing. I know I shouldn't. I've been fighting. I've been trying to figure it out. I've been trying to deal with it. Well, the Scripture says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The idea isn't just, I told you a bad thing. Now you pray for me. Okay, bye. No. Y'all know that's not how that works. It's I tell you the thing. You pray for me. And then we sit down and we talk about it. We strategize, and you, you share some stuff to me that in your walk, or you share some stuff to me from Scripture. And frankly, you may not have had the same temptation that I've had. doesn't matter. You're a godly person. you got some stuff to offer me. You know some stuff that I may not be paying attention because I'm in the midst of it. You know, we have this weird notion that the only people we should ever seek advice from are people who have the exact same experience as us. Don't get me wrong. It's good to go to people who have parallel experiences if they're godly, if they're godly. Because here's the thing, it's like, well, you don't understand because you haven't been in my shoes. Well, maybe you need somebody outside of that situation to be able to see into it a little bit better anyways. You want to know, i got marriage problems. Well, you know, maybe, maybe the best person you could go to for help on that is a godly, unmarried person. Jesus and the Apostle Paul certainly fit that bill. We trust their wisdom. I know that's a little different, cheating, like, you know, son of God, inspired apostle. But still, you get the point, right? I don't think that was an accident that God chose to give his strongest teaching on marriage from unmarried people. You get the point? It's not that you have to have gone through the same experience as me to help me. It's do you love God? Are you seeking God? What do you have to offer me? And that needs to be something where I actively and eagerly seek it. Tell me, what do you think I need here? But also... I'm receptively open. Even if you just tell me, I didn't ask for your advice. I was just complaining. I didn't want any help. Well, if you're telling me something I need to hear, and if I'm a wise person, then I'll go ahead and take it. Even if I wasn't real interested in you giving me your opinion or telling me something that I didn't really want to hear. A wise person says, I don't like that too much. I didn't even ask for that. But thank you. So here's a good, actually, lesson for all of us whenever we get wisdom, we get advice, we get counsel, we get criticism. Just say thanks. I mean, really, like a real thanks. Not like a thanks. And you know what I mean? Like a, a genuine grat expression of gratitude. Say thanks. And don't try to explain away, well, you don't, like, no, just say thanks. And even if you think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, they don't get me, they don't understand, whatever, just say thanks and then evaluate it later. Because in that moment, maybe it's a little bit of that ego. Maybe it's something they actually were trying to help you with that you, that's why you can't receive it. Just say thanks. Be receptively open. Take it. And then go evaluate it. It may be the dumbest thing you've ever heard. But give yourself some time to evaluate that. Because by the way, we shouldn't listen to everything. Even godly people make mistakes in the advice and the counsel we give because we don't have proper perception or whatever it may be. Go evaluate that later. Pray about it. Explore God's word. But be open to the counsel of the godly. All right, last one. Uh, this may be the weirdest one. The fourth avenue that the scriptures point out, and particularly the Proverbs point out, as far as an avenue where we can find God's wisdom if we'll seek it out, it's nature. Nature. In Proverbs 6, the father says to his lazy son, 
Learn how to work hard, you sluggard. Except some of you know that verse, and it's not exactly right. Proverbs 6 and verse 6. It didn't start that way. Instead of saying, learn how to work hard, you lazy bum, he says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Go to the ant and just watch them. Watch them do their thing. Have you ever actually done that before? So some of you have who've ever lived somewhere. I don't know if I probably should repent of this, so I guess here it is. But here it is. When I was a kid, we would have a lot of ant piles in our yard. So honestly, one of the most thrilling things to do, thrilling because of the danger of it and what happened, the spectacle of it, take a stick and like start poking that ant hill like crazy. And some of you are nodding because you know. Those dudes explode. You know what's wild to me? And, and explode in work. What would you do if somebody came up to your house, some crazy monster came up to your house and took something and just started going nuts on your house and destroying it? A lot of us would probably just sit down and cry. Because we'd be like, that, I mean, what, all hope is lost. This is pathetic. What am I going to do? Not the ant. The ant says, all right, boys, it's time to do some work. Let's go. And they get to work. Immediately. That teaches a lazy bum a lesson. Hey, man. Even whenever you think all hope is lost, get to work. Don't be lazy. How would we know that? Or how would we learn that lesson so viscerally, so meaningfully, if it wasn't for an ant? He does it again later at the end of the book of Proverbs in chapter 30. He lists off a bunch of different animals and lessons learned from them. Jesus did this whenever he said, hey, don't be anxious. Jesus, how can I not be anxious? Everything causes me anxiety. The world's a messed up place. I know you've only been here a little while, but it's bad down here. And Jesus said, yeah, okay. Go look at the flowers. What are, what are they doing? What are they stressed out about? Honestly, flowers have a lot more to be stressed out about because they're going to make it like, what, a day tops? And then they're getting thrown in the fire. Why are you stressed out? Look at the birds. They're not running around here. They're just singing their songs, doing what they do. And don't you think you're more valuable than that to God? See, Jesus pointed us to nature. The psalmist in Psalm 19 when he was talking about the grandeur of God, the way that he proved it is, he said, look up at the stars. Look at the skies. Look at the things that God has made. All right, so this is why this is a strange one. What if you did that tonight? You said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be just drinking the grandeur of God. I'm going to reflect on the wisdom of God. So tonight, I'm going to go on my rooftop, and I'm going to lay there on a blanket. It's kind of against the rules, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to lay there. I'm going to just look up in the sky and behold the stars, the glory of God. Y'all know the problem. You might see like one, but probably not even. It's hard. It's hard. It really is. And I think this is something, I put this last on purpose because I think this is really important all throughout Scripture. God's always using nature imagery to help people understand Him, to understand us, to understand life. So we've got to really work hard. It's not impossible. You know that. It is, it is challenging, but it's not impossible. Next time... Tony organizes a little outdoor thing out in the park. Go. Figure out how to go. Unless you're in the middle of work. Even then, you might just want to try to figure out how to go. And go watch the ducks. And see how wise they are at fleeing temptation like little boys chasing them with sticks. I don't know if everybody does that, but Shay does, I know. He wants one of those ducks, and I hope he never gets one because I think we'll get in trouble for that. But watch the ducks and how wise they are in fleeing danger. Shouldn't you learn a lesson for that in temptation? Go watch the trees. 
Just look, watch, I know this, uh, look, at, look at the trees. I guess you don't watch them, they don't move, but you look at the trees. Study them. How ancient, how strong they are. And how actually God says that that's what he's making us into. That kind of power, that kind of provision. is what we're, You get my point? Next time you see somebody like, uh, I know LaToya does, probably others of you do, post some pictures of flowers. And how in this place of concrete and metal and in an environment that's so hostile to nature, honestly, it really is, kind of intentionally hostile to nature, that stuff can still grow. And while we may feel like this world is hostile to us, we can still bloom and blossom in the ways God wants to. You get the point? Seek wisdom in, seek the wisdom of God, seek to know the wisdom of God better through what He shows us in nature. All right. Uh, we've got to develop this kind of attitude, y'all, where we're actively eager in pursuit of wisdom and we're receptively open to whatever wisdom God gives us. The wisdom He gives us in prayer, the wisdom He gives us through His instruction, His Torah, the wisdom we gain from His people, godly influences, and the wisdom He demonstrates to us through nature. But of course, you know the greatest wisdom is the wisdom that He showed us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the wisdom that Jesus demonstrated was a radical wisdom because it's nothing that anybody could have ever expected. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, we preach the wisdom of the cross. So don't expect that as you seek wisdom that the stuff you're going to find is what you thought or what you'll like or what everybody else will agree with out in the world. It's going to be different. That's why everybody, as wisdom stands on the street corner and in the middle of the town square and at the gate, she's everywhere. That's why everybody just keeps on walking past her, pushing her aside, slapping her open arms away. Because it's not exactly what we think. But in raising Jesus from the dead and giving him new life, God proved that his wisdom is the right wisdom. It's the real wisdom. And if we'll just be humble enough to do what Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all you who've been fools, all you've done a lot of foolishness, and he doesn't say that he'll laugh at us in our calamity. He doesn't say, you'll seek me, but you will not find me. He says, no, I will give you rest. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the wisdom that you grant us through Jesus, the wisdom that you pour into us through your spirit. We pray that you give us greater faith to seek your wisdom. Give us hearts like your servant Solomon that would be eager to seek you out for help, to get the wisdom that you offer. Give us the wisdom to be open to whatever you may tell us, especially the stuff that's confusing or strange or what we wouldn't like very much. God, we thank you that your wisdom is available to us all around and that it's true. She's screaming out to us on every corner and at every place. Give us the wisdom to seek your wisdom so that we can be like Jesus, our Lord. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody, and, uh, and God bless us. I just wanted to highlight a couple of announcements that, uh, that are, are uh, significant for us. Uh, first thing is, please be uh, really constant in your prayers about our uh, pursuit of a new meeting location. We're, um, all the feedback that was received was positive. There were some question marks like we have with any location. But really, everybody's response was, let's go for it. Let's try to make this thing work out. So we're still waiting on a response from the landlords at, uh, at the new facility. If you had any questions about that, um, please reach out. 
really the big goal here is not just to get a, a new place or a different place, but to find a place that will facilitate as many of us as possible being able to be together for worship, for Bible study. There's still a lot of details to work out, and it's, as soon as we have information, that's going to be communicated. So just be keeping a lookout on your email for, uh, for something on that. Um, Bible study tonight, we're going to finish up our overview of the New Testament, and then next week we're going to start a series of studies that we're, are going to be kind of based in 1 Corinthians. We're not going to do a straight-up textual study, at least at this point of 1 Corinthians. We're going to do uh, portions of the text, and then we'll talk about subjects related to that to kind of break up. It's kind of a long book, so rather than having the, the mental exhaustion of weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of the same thing, we're going to try to have particular focuses throughout the book. So this going to be pretty fun and exciting. Uh, don't forget, this month we are reading through 1 Corinthians, a really important book. And if you could lock in this month, read that book once a week. doesn't take that long, maybe 45 minutes total. If you broke it up throughout the week each day, you can get through it. Some really good lessons that will have our minds prepared for the studies we'll be entering into on Sundays uh, starting soon. And then uh, in addition to that and related to that, beginning on April 1st, we're going to start also having a midweek Bible study. Uh, a lot of the things we've been talking about this, this year have been trying to have more time integrating ourselves, reintegrating ourselves back together, spending time to encourage and strengthen each other. So we're working on that. We're going to work out all the in-person virtual stuff. There will be more details to come with that. But that will be continuous with our Sunday Bible study is the current plan. So in other words, whatever we study on Sunday, we'll study the next portion of that on Thursday, the next, the next Sunday, the next Thursday like that, rather than every week um, just doing that subject on Sunday. So. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. We can discuss that further. Obviously, remember all those who are sick. Uh, it was mentioned in the prayer. I do remember Nelson with the, the uh, minor procedure, but minor procedure is still a procedure and significant. It was on his foot, so he kind of that's been bothering him. So he stayed home to try to uh, recover from that and, and get all the way right. There's probably other stuff we need to mention. Um, anybody remember anything that I'm forgetting? Everybody feel good? All right. Great. Well, um, definitely, let's all be reaching out. Anything that you need that the congregation can help with or that you uh, personally need, don't hold back. Don't be quiet about that. We all need to be here to support each other and help each other. feels weird sometimes to ask for help, but come on. Like You'd want, you'd want somebody else to ask help if they need it, so uh, let's do that for each other and uh, reach out and, uh, and get that from one another. All right. We're off. We'll... Uh, We'll uh, say at noon, we'll sit back down and uh, reflect on the Lord and take the supper together. So we'll take a 10-ish minute break.